I want to speak about soul winning. Soul winning. We've been praying on Thursday nights about leading people to Christ, about winning souls for the Lord, and uh, and how to do that. How can we be effective in it? Well, we do it on every Thursday night. We pray. In Christianity and spiritual things, you're good in nothing unless you're praying for it. Prayer is the foundation of all success in our Christian life. And it's no different with leading people to the Lord. We have to be a prayerful people. There are a lot of obstacles to overcome. There's not just obstacles in our own life, but there is Satan that we have to come against too. So we have to be prayed up. A lot of people are hostile to the Christian faith. We just spoke about this in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 6 for the last two Thursday nights. We were speaking about going into the harvest because the harvest is white and it's ready for picking. But we have to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. And then we go. And then we got to go as lamb amongst what? Wolves. we got to be totally prepared. we got to be totally prayed up to go into a world that does not want God and bring them a God message of hope and peace and forgiveness. Amen. I want to speak out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 today uh, of Paul, the apostle, and how he did it. Paul, the apostle, was a wonderful soul winner, but it wasn't an easy task, even though he was called an apostle to the Gentiles, and he moved in the signs of an apostle. He moved greatly in the power of the Holy Spirit. He saw the dead raised. He saw lepers healed. He saw paraplegics be raised. He saw the deaf speak, and uh, and the the mute speak, and the deaf hear, and all the miracles that he did. But to be a soul winner, you have to go even further than that. There's something more important than even walking into all the power and signs and wonders. If we could have that, that would be wonderful. But yet, if we don't know how to become a Jew to a Jew, if we don't know how to become a, 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 a Greek to a Greek, and the weak to the weak, understand something. If we don't know how to become all things to all men, that some might be saved... I believe those power signs would fall on deaf ears. On deaf ears. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm just going to cut right to the chase over here. Read 13 to, I mean 19 to 27. I'll fill you in what's going on. <clears throat> For though I am free from all... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to start 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not my being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means <clears throat> I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in the race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete, athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, 
but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that you open up our, not just our ears and our eyes, but Father, I pray that for the first time, you open up our hearts to understand the apostle, Father, and show us how to apply these principles of truth in evangelism, friendship evangelism, and leading people to you, Father God. Show us, open up our heart. This is a heart issue. It's not a methodology, Father. It's a heart issue. It's about dying to self that others may live. Help us today, Father. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Winning. For most Americans, this is a national pastime. We like to win. I like to win. Either we are trying to win something, or at least we want our favorite team to win, or our favorite politician. We want our grandchild to win. We want our children to win. We want to see, we want to wrap ourselves around what? Winners. Winners. There's something good about being around a winner. We want to come out on top. We want to compete with ourselves. We want to compete with other people. We want to do more in the gym. I want to do more with people in Soul Cycle. I want to do more on spending other people. I want to personally have personal achievements. I want to outdo myself to the best I can. When I'm training, I want to train hard enough to push myself. I want to win. The world just finished the Olympic Games. National pride was running high because we get to see the gold medals and you see it flashes up. You want to, you want to get the synopsis of what took place in the last two days so we see how many gold medals who has. The America has, right? And how many, that's what we do, fast math. And then we say, oh, we won most. Well, that feels good. Or, or they won. We feel good around winning. Winning something, anything has personal satisfaction to it and some personal achievement. Some kind of success to it. You feel like, I'm not bad. I've achieved this. I won. Anything makes no difference. Some self-imposed goal of losing five pounds or ten pounds makes you feel like, you know, you're on top of the world. Successful. Self-worth. Marathoners. I know many, many marathoners. We have some here. From top world athletes and professionals to grandmothers, they just, they want to run next to the big shots. You know, if it takes them 10 hours, they're going to run, they're going to do it. I had a friend of mine who ran in his fire department, whole outfit, the 60 pounds, and he did the whole thing. He's out there. But he did it. Success, achievement. Had to succeed. There's a never-ending stream of best-selling books. I actually went online, and I pulled up. There were so many, I had to put them down. Half of the faces we know already. You had your Tony Roberts out there winning. Uh, you had the other guy who preaches at night after me. I forget his name. Joel Olstein, he's out there. How to win. You got this uh, uh, Deepak Chopin. He, he knows how to win. And You got all these people. How to win. How to win. Because life is about what? From Paul's perspective, it is. Our text is about what? He says it five times. To win the lost. And once he calls it saved. But that's what he means when he says win. See, winning's okay. But what are you trying to win? Personal success? Or sin is for Christ? There's nothing wrong with winning. But if it's all about, look at me, Alfredo. Look, look what I've done. 
Please, everybody, turn your attention to me. If it's about personal satisfaction, and there's always a sense of personal satisfaction and achievement. Please don't get me. I'm an athlete. I've been an athlete all my life. I know what that's like. I, I strove for that. It, 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 it pushed me most of my life. But we're in, as Christians, there's a higher calling, amen? There's an imperishable wreath that we do things for now. Not, not the perishable wreath that just withers away the accolades of men. There's something more important now. Not the accolades of men, but the souls of men. Winning is sewn into the fabric of our society. It's in us. A matter of fact, it's in us so bad in a negative sense that if someone doesn't feel they're winning in something, they feel less than what? Everybody else. There's a sense of, well, you know, I'm just, I'm not weighing up with everybody. What's lacking in my life? I'm, I'm not a winner. I'm not, I'm not doing anything. Well, that's what our text is all about. To be obsessed in winning is good, but not just for winning in ourselves. Because souls is to the glory of Christ. Have you ever had the pleasure? No, no, not the pleasure. I can't call it pleasure. Have you ever had the blessing of being used by God to lead a sinner out of darkness in the hand of Satan? Have you ever had the pleasure, or the blessing, I should say, of someone crying out to you and saying, I'm so grateful. Let me tell you what Christ has done. When I came to Christ, I never told you my past life. And then after several years, sometimes people have to decompress from shame and guilt, and they're free to talk about what Christ had saved them from. And they speak openly about the darkness How many times I've heard that? That's winning people. That's what life is about. If you have not tasted that, I love you, child of God, but you're running on empty. Paul calls it a reward here. A reward that he doesn't want to be disqualified from. What he's saying, I'll do anything, just don't take the blessing of leading people of Christ away from me. I beat my body. The last thing I ever want God to do is say, Brian, you're disqualified. Paul, you're disqualified. From now on, you cannot preach anymore. From now on, you cannot counsel anymore. From now on, you cannot encourage anymore. From now on, you cannot speak to anybody about me anymore. If I ever heard anything even close to that, I would say, Lord, then take me home. I have nothing to live for. And I mean that with all my heart. I would have nothing worthy to live for, except for myself. Become a better golfer, become better this, become a better that. To be honest, at 56, I'm quite tired of it. I'm getting tired of myself. Anybody ever get there? I am. I'm not even saying that as a caricature. I'm dead serious. I'm I'm tired of it. It's, It's a burden too heavy to carry. I need someone to help me. We are our brother's keeper, amen? Amen. But that's what our text is about. It is about winning, but it's about winning the right things for the right reasons.
You can compete, compete for the right reason. This is Paul's personal philosophy and a method and an approach to soul winning. It's, 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 it's a philosophy of the heart. It's of the heart, and this is what challenges Christians. It's deep, deep soul food. This is, you have to be reflective. You have to look at ourselves. We have to cry out to God to change us from the inside. And this is the one thing that should and could, by God's grace, preoccupy us. This is Christian discipleship. So let's just take a moment now. How would we rate ourselves when it comes to sharing Christ with the non-believer? How would we rate ourselves about really becoming all things to all men for the sake of Jesus? Not your feelings. Get over yourself. Get over myself. But how would you rate yourself? How would I rate myself? It's Christian discipleship. Go ye and make all nations, not just a couple of you, all of us. And I'll talk about some of the ways we can do this, because not everybody's, I'm not called to be, I can never be Paul. I'm, I'm not trying to be Paul. I would fail if I tried to be. I'm better off trying to be like Christ than trying to be like Paul. God gives me the grace to be like his son, but he doesn't give me the grace to be like Paul. I'm not called to be Paul. I'm being created into the image of Christ, and I have that. Grace upon you, and I have that, grace upon me. But to be like Paul, I'm not, but I can learn from Paul, Amen. I can learn from Paul. Our text has one big idea, which I already said. It's about winning. This is the driving force behind the whole language. Five times win, or winning is mentioned, and and save is mentioned once. And it's always in, in, in the proportion to other people. It has nothing to do with him personally. Verses 19 to 23 are personal examples, which we'll get into how Paul approaches leaning to others to Christ. This is good for us to understand. Verses 24 to 27 is what it takes to be successful in this game of eternal life, for the eternal wreath. This is not something you just say, we know something, I'm going to go win some souls. I know a guy that did that, I mean that. He had no prayer, he had no church behind him, he had no friends. And if I could tell you, I saw him several times beat up black and blue. And not with a good attitude for the Lord. He, he, he was annoying. He was a, a clangy gong. He was a brassy symbol. Telling everybody from a self-righteous heart that they need to repent or perish. Now, unless you are walking on water, don't try that approach. I'm telling you right now, be very careful of that approach. That is not the sensitivity of going out like a dove amongst the wolves. To be successful, we have to know what Paul says about he beats his body daily and makes it his slave, his passion. And we'll get into that a little bit. This was an apt metaphor for the ancient Greeks, let's remember, to whom Paul is writing. They were very familiar with the Olympic Games and a vigorous training 
that went into it. So Paul is not just pulling something athletic metaphor out of the sky. He, he's, he's contextualizing. He knows his audience. He knows they're Greeks. He knows they're in Corinth. He knows they're extremely familiar with athletes and, and, and the rigorous trainer of athletes. And he's using this apt athletic metaphor to say to become a Jew to a Jew and to become uh, as though, to those under the law as without the law and to become the weak to the weak and become all things to all men is not easy. It's what he's saying. It's not a simple task. It's not something you just, you know, just raise yourself up by your bootstraps and say, that sermon stirred me up, I'm going to change the world. No. What it does, though, it brings us down low. Like a real low. To realize how much more God we need in our life. And it's from that place he raises us up and he uses us in great ways. These verses find us in the middle of an argument. It's an argument of Paul. If you're not familiar with the writing of Paul, he seems to always be in an argument with somebody. There's always this rhetorical person hanging around, bothering Paul. And and that's what's going on here. He's in the middle of an argument, and he's stating his apostolic freedom to preach the gospel to everyone and to share it financially to support him. What he's saying is, I'm an apostle, and I can preach... And I can, I can rest on the congregation supporting me. But he says, but I don't want to put an obstacle in front of anybody. So I'm going to preach and I'm going to support myself. When's the last time you heard any preacher say that? But that's what he said. He says, I can preach it. And I can charge for the labor is what? Worthy of his wages. And you don't muzzle an ox while he's tressing on the grain. But he goes, I chose to work myself and preach free of charge. And why did he do this? He says he wants to put no stumbling block before anybody. The ancient world was filled with charlatans. Paul was a Jew from Jerusalem and Judea. He came as preaching as an itinerant preacher, prophet. They had no idea who this man was. And the last thing he was going to do was preach and have his hand out. So he said, you know something? I don't want to put an obstacle in front of anybody. I'm going to preach and support myself because I don't want you to think I'm like every other charlatan that comes to you. You're bad in people. You've already given your money time and time again. I'm not going to do it now. I'm going to make sure I put nothing before another human being's sensitive conscience. I'm going to make sure. That's what he's saying. I'm going to be extremely sensitive here. I'd rather go hungry than to ask. Not because I'm prideful, because I'm sensitive to your souls. That sound familiar? That's what Paul is saying But in our reading tonight, he expands the principle of self-denial. He expands on it. To to cover so much of life in a multicultural environment. There were Jews. There were those under the law. There were Gentiles and pagans without any law. Hedonists. Then you had the weak marginalized social outcasts and you had this whole ancient multicultural multi-ethnicity world going on 
And Paul went out into that world. He says, I'm going to deny myself for the sake of other people. He lived in a world like you and me today. You can walk through Bay Ridge with so many different cultures. So much different ethnicity. So many different religions. Outcast everywhere. The marginalized everywhere. The homeless everywhere. And you can be easily so offended to say, you know, something I don't even want to get involved with telling people about Jesus. See, Paul denied himself any self-righteous attitude or feeling that would put an obstacle or a stumbling block in front of anybody. He says, I've made myself a slave to everybody. Let's go to our text. It's a timely word for us today. Verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. This statement highlights his self-imposed approach to other people. He's their servant. He's already made his mind up when he woke up out of bed in the morning and he went out into the marketplace. The first face he saw, the second face he saw, to the last face he saw, he was a servant. It was, it was made up. It wasn't, uh, how could you say, circumstantial servanthood. Well, if you're nice to me, then I'll serve you the gospel and I'll do everything I can to get Christ to you. But if you're not like me, you don't talk like me, you don't dress like me, you don't act like me. If you're, if you're rough around the edges, if you smell, if you don't dress like me, if, if you're from another country, if you don't speak my language, well, guess what? I won't serve you. Paul never would have such an attitude. You know why? Because in the 11th chapter he says, imitate me as I and Christ didn't come to be served, but and give his life for others so they could be saved. Same principle. Paul's expounding on what Jesus already did and said. Just like Jesus, Paul gave his life a ransom. Paul had rights as an apostle and as a human. He had a right as apostle not to labor in the field and work for a living. He had a right like the other apostles to take a believing wife and, 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 to, and to receive his wages by preaching the gospel. Settle down into a more convenient, conventional ministry. But he chose to make tents into labor, not to put an obstacle in front of everybody. To make sure that there was no stain put on the, the Christian church. He was willing to lay aside certain personal rights. He could have seen standoffish, aloof, or self-righteous. But he chose not to be. He chose to be a servant to all people, and he's going to explain that to us. You see, Paul had other people's and their feelings and their souls as a priority. You see, you cannot have a person's soul as the priority if you don't have their feelings as a priority. I can't come to you and say repent or perish. Is that a true statement? Yes. But if I don't care about you, I don't even know your first name. And I'm telling you these things. 
I'm showing you that I really don't care for your soul. I'm not willing to meet a need. I'm not willing to meet... You're hungry. You need something. You need a hug. You need a handshake. You need someone to acknowledge your first name. You haven't heard someone say, what's your name? Has anybody said your name today? Not Paul. He became a servant to everybody. He wanted to be kind. Paul was an extremely kind human being. Think of Christianity without kindness. It's out there, you know. Well, we find it in the Gospels. It's called Phariseeism. It's a religion without the Spirit. It's the law without the Spirit. But this is not some superficial approach of making feel people good about themselves for their feelings only. This wasn't a political correctness to say, well, I care about your feelings, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. That's Paul's not saying that. He did, to, he did his best to make sure his high view of morality and his high spiritual understanding didn't make him feel superior to other people and so distance himself from people who were still off. Christians can do that. Christians can get so close to God that they're far away from humanity. It's an oxymoron. The closer you are to God, the closer you are to your fellow man. And that's a question. How close are we to our fellow man? Not just a couple of people, but humanity. That's how close you are to Christ. And he goes on to give examples of how to win people to Christ. He doesn't just say, I become a servant to all. He says in verse 20, to the Jews, specifically he's saying now, there's three groups of people. To the Jews, actually four, I'll get into it. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jew. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law of Moses, that I might win those under the law of Moses still. The first example of Paul was to the devout Jew, those who were under the law. Paul knew that the Mosaic law was over more than any human being that ever walked the earth besides Christ. Even Peter didn't understand that yet. Even the other apostles didn't understand that. It was Paul who had the penetrating insight to know that Jesus Christ is the end of the law and righteousness to all those who believe. He knew the Mosaic law was over, but yet he was willing to go to temple. We see him in Acts. He was willing to circumcise Timothy. He was willing to celebrate certain religious festivals. He became a Jew to the Jew, not because he believed that was salvation, but he wanted to enter into someone else's world. He didn't come out with both guns blasting theologically. We don't eat meat on Friday anymore. I did that for years. I beat Catholics to death. I beat them up. It was wrong. I was wrong. Totally wrong. I got a little bit of truth. And I hurt people with it. More than once. I wasn't becoming a Jew to a Jew and a Greek to a Greek. I was too busy being self. And I was. And I was. It was a mistake. Paul said, don't shoot down their religion with their obvious flaws. He knew they were Jews. He knew it was over. But, you know, he, he wanted to go and win them out of it. He knew how to enter into someone else's life and someone else's darkness and someone else's religion and, and to 
pointing them out. He wasn't saying from a distance, come out. He would go to them where they were. He'd meet them where they were. And he would lead them. Paul knew to engage people created in the image of God first, build relationships, and then opportunity will naturally what? Grant itself. The world is suspicious of people who correct first and love later. He gives a second one. This is to the irreligious. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law in verse 21. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. These ones had no religion whatsoever. They were a pagan type, a hedonistic lifestyle. They had no morality whatsoever, or at best they had a loose morality. But yet Paul wasn't bashful. Paul wasn't shy. He knew how to fellowship with an ungodly sort. Remember Corinth? Read the sixth chapter. That's all. Paul preached. Paul was the one who said, but some of you were murderers, adulterers, sodomites, and homosexuals, and thieves, and gossipers. He goes, some of you were, but when I preached, you were washed. When I preached, you were saved. That's not who you are anymore. Remember, I fellowship with you. I, I, I lived amongst you, and I met you where you are, and I told you about Christ, and, and now you've come to Christ, and you're not that person anymore. You had no law. You had no religion. You didn't care about anything. You were, you were steeped in sin. I didn't turn my nose up to you. I, I met you where you were. I, I loved you. I saw your soul, not just your sin. He wanted to serve even the worst. Sound familiar? Who do you think you learned it from? Of course. Jesus ate and drank with who? And what they call him? A drunkard and a glutton. Now, please understand something. Those are curse words in ancient Judaism. For a, a pious Jew to say you're a drunkard and a glutton was to say you're outside the covenant and you have no blessing of Abraham at all. It's the Messiah. But he wasn't caught up in judging people. Paul says judge no one outside the church. You judge people and say, I'm a Christian, but live like a non-Christian. Then we have every right to say, something's wrong, brother. Something's wrong, sister. You're living like a non-believer, but you're confessing Christ. They, we judge each other. But to the non-believer, no. We go with open arms. I become all things to all people. Did he come an adulterer to an adulterer? Did he come a murderer to a murderer? Did he come a fornicator to the fornicator? Of course not. He knew how to come to them without adopting their practices. He wasn't shy and he wasn't bashful. I just love with all my heart 
what Christ has done in me that I can hang around people who are still lewd and still cussing and still womanizing and still drinking and and I can still care for them and not get caught up in their practices but I can still walk amongst us because I have the law of Christ in me. I have a restraint in me. I love my golfing friends that are still there. They're in the corner. They know I'm a pastor and they're smoking pot around the bushes over there. Like I can't smell it. I'm like, guys, you know, God sees you behind the bush. And then I give him the Adam story. Where are you, Adam? He's behind the trees hiding. And there they are. They're back there. They're smoking their dubs. And, you know, and other Christians, and I would bring this out to people. And, oh, that's like taboo. What am I doing? Run away? Am I bashful? Am I shy? They need Christ. It's the sick that need a physician. They don't need me running away. I got the antidote. I have the medication. What am I going to run away for? I have the law of Christ in me. They're not going to tempt me with the pot. Been there, done that, don't want it. But I got something better for you. You have to know how to live with people still in sin. And if we're self-righteous, forget it. Forget it. I can go on. This is big to me. That one's big. Living amongst people that are still in the world. That's big to me. Because that's what the gospel does. It empowers us to live in the darkness. And as John 1 says, the light came into the world, but the darkness could not overcome it. And when we go out into the world, the darkness, we got to be careful. But understand something, we carry a message. And it's something very attractive. When the stereotyped, evangelical, fundamental, born-again Christian who's supposed to be judging them with both fingers is embracing them without embracing sin. You've got to be filled with grace and knowledge and truth. You've got to walk close to Christ to be able to do that. Paul did it well. It's called contextualization. Fancy word. Probably no one's ever heard it. Probably no one really care about it. It's adaptability. It's adaptability. When you go into the African jungle to preach Christ, you can't go there with our Western mindset. You've got to stoop down to their level. You have to walk slow. You can't Come on. Where's my cup of coffee? I asked for it two minutes ago. You've got to walk slow. You gotta walk their pace. You gotta talk their talk. You gotta be welcome into their community. You have to be welcomed into their heart. You're contextualizing the God. You have the message, but first you have to be friends with the people. And then you settle in and, and, and you work amongst them and you love them and you meet needs and, and, and you don't even talk to them. You might take months or years before you really talk to them about the gospel. But then hearts are open. And now I can speak to you. Contextualization. Sometimes you're not going to have all the time in the world. And like the thief on the cross, you've got to get to work quick. You've got to tell somebody, God loves you. I might never see you again. But if you truly ask for forgiveness and repent, Christ will forgive you. Simple as that. Contextualization. 
He goes on to say this about the weak, verse 22. To the weak, I became weak. That I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some, or better, it's better understood, I might be used. Paul knows he wasn't saving anybody. But by all means, I might be used to save some. Scholars often argue about who the weak were. In Paul's writing, it can mean two or three different classes of people. There are Christian weak who have weak, sensitive consciences, and they come out of religious backgrounds, and they, 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 they accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they know that salvation is free in Him, but they can't get away from following their religious rules and regulations that they've done for 20, 30, 40 years. It's not easy to change overnight. So the weak could be these Christians that, that they're following, but they might not be saved yet. They're really entertaining the Christian message. They're really coming to the Christian church, but they're still practicing their religion. It's not like, oh, give that up. Paul would say, come with your religion. Go to your other churches, your respected churches in the morning, but come to us in the afternoon. You're weak, I'm going to meet you where you are. I'm not going to shoot you down because you're still practicing some kind of archaic religious ritual. Paul wouldn't do that. I did that. Brian Martin did that. You meet them where they're at. Just be kind. Win people over. Let them hear your heart. Let them see Christ in love and action. Paul made people feel special, valued, and accepted. But also the weak could be those who are just the social misfit, the marginalized, the people that just, they're lonely, they've got no friends. Everybody passes them by. You know, it's like they're talking to themselves. They're just, they're just out there. And God knows we have that everywhere, don't we? Yes. And Paul's saying, even to the weak, I, I would lower myself. I, I meet them where they're at. I come up beside someone and just start walking the way of life with them. I say, what's your name? I see you here. He would meet, he would come weak to the weak. He throw it all away for the sake of one soul. One soul. Paul knew how to make people feel special. To the Jew, he became a Jew. To those outside the law, he knew how to walk with them. To the weak, he knew how to lower himself, though he was a mental giant. He knew how to lower himself. But he says here in verse 24 to 27 that that athletic metaphor just goes to show us the effort of this, this heart achievement of spiritual maturity. It takes work. Christian soul winning is not for the faint at heart. They have to be a visionary. They have to have uh, the big picture in mind. They got to be able to walk the extra mile. They got to walk and be insulted and keep on going. They know how to have to know how to go down to someone else's life when they're rude and they're lewd and they're cussing and they're all high and mighty on their religion or they're lonely because no one's ever given them a time of day. He knew how to walk with them for months and years if have to. 
That takes discipline. Many people say, well, I try to speak to those type of people. It just, it never works. Oh, like, how grateful they should be that you told them about Jesus once. The great and mighty eye came and I told them about Jesus. They wanted nothing to do with it. And so, well, you know, I'll have nothing to do with them anymore. No, it takes effort. It takes the effort of a qualified athlete running or boxing in the Olympic Games. His life is not their own. They put aside all earthly endeavors and pleasures for the sake of beating their body so when it comes to the games, they can run in such a way as to win. Nobody runs for silver. Everybody runs for the gold. And that's what Paul's saying when it comes to winning souls. You have to be all in. Otherwise, it doesn't work. I'll tell you now. How good are you at leading people to the Lord? How good are you on, on nurturing an already Christian? They might say to us, I'm really not all in, Brian. I'm not all in. I think I'm all in. But the lack of fruit might be saying, I'm not as in as I think I Oh, you're saved and we're saved. I'm not saying that. But have we have the heart to become all things to all people that some might be saved? Do we have that? Let me give you an illustration to help us. Paul didn't want to be disqualified from this rich blessing. He wanted to share in the benefits of the gospel, he says. It's like a farmer who farms and he tills the ground. Why does he do it? Just so he can see the fruit? But doesn't he want to taste of its bounty? Doesn't he have a right to watch it grow slowly but surely? And doesn't he have a hope to say, like, it's starting to ripen. I can't wait to bring the grain home to the family. I can't wait till we get around and hold hands and thank God for the food and the water that is before me. That God has blessed us. That's a reward. And that's how Paul saw the salvation of one sinner. That's how Paul saw the sanctification of another Christian. He wanted to be involved in the process. So when the changed life came, he could say, what a reward. Look, I'm sitting around the table with other Christians. This one came out of hedonism. This one came out of religion. This one was self-righteous. This one was down and out. This one had no friend. And, and look at them blossom right before me. Christ is being formed in them. There are Christians that come to church and have no idea what it is to watch Christ grow in another person. As a pastor, it brings me to tears. And i got to do everything I can not to get angry. In the flesh. How do we just go by? Christ is being formed in a young Christian man. In a young Christian woman. The Holy Spirit is drawing someone out of darkness. And we're indifferent. We're so far from maturity. We're far. But his mercies are what? You can leave here today with a fresh new work of soul winning in your heart. You can leave today with a desire to say, God, I want to be involved.
Show me. And where do I begin to disappear? I want to be a long distance runner. I remember when I first started teaching karate, I was coming out of the gym and I just started my karate class and I had just gotten back from Japan. I was fighting in Japan. I was fighting in Holland. I just got back. And I fought in these big tournaments and I said, you know something, I'm going to throw out a shingle. I'm going to start teaching. And, and this guy comes running across the street from the gym. Brian, Brian, out of shape, huffing and puffing. He was 300 pounds of sloppy mess. He goes, I want to be a fighter. Like, where do you begin with something like that? I said, come on, I'll see you Tuesday night. He gave him a white belt and a gi. And then three years later, he was a karate champion. He had the heart. He had the hunger. But he needed to teach. You got to know where to start. Every athlete starts with a desire. And you move up the ranks. It's the same thing with soul winning. I hope today you're being stirred up to say, I want that. It's in you. You know why I know it's in you? Because you're born again. If you're born again, you have to say amen to Paul's message. You have to. There's no way you can not be moved by this. Not because of me. It's it's an eternal truth. So where do we start? I'm glad you asked. We start by being honest with the Lord, amen? And you say, God, I've fallen short in an area of my life. Stirring you up to a fresh, soul-winning, like when I first got saved. I know, I know what it's like to be first saved. I know people in this room, when you're first saved, you'll speak to Jesus, to anybody. And you do it in your own contextualized way. Some people can do it with a very strong apologetic. They have their, they have their mind filled with world religion and, and philosophy. And they can go toe-to-toe with the best. And other people just say, once I was blind. That's all. They're not intimidated. And they lead people to Christ. Let me give you four applications. Maybe five. And we'll close up. Paul became a Jew to a Jew. For me and you today, that really might not apply unless we're really coming out of a deep Judaism. For most of us, it's not. But to the Catholic, we have to know how to become a Catholic. To the 12 steppers, we have to know how to become a 12 stepper. To those who have a higher power, we have to know how to come to those who have higher power. We have to meet people where they are on their journey of faith. You have to know how to come down to someone and, and not beat someone up because they're. they're the, the understanding of God is very narrow and very shallow. The fundamentals, the rudimentary, elementary things of faith might be there. And we have to be able to walk with them and to talk with them and not be turn-offish and self-righteous. I failed in that. I wish I could apologize to a lot of people. But anyway, we move forward now. And we have to learn how to become a Jew. Paul was, in a sense, stepping backwards. He was digressing from the new covenant, to so to speak, not without the law of God, but with the law of Christ. And he, he stepped back into a religious world that was void of any presence of God. But yet he treated them kindly and warmly and compassionately. I'm telling you now, in our evangelism, in our witness, we have to make sure we turn no one off by our strong approach with the truth. Suggestion.
cultural differences. Paul was a devout Jew. He grew up in the strongest Jewish family you can imagine. But yet he knew how to cross cultural differences and ethnicities and, and move around sort of like a chameleon, just, just bring in the gospel, not in some cookie cutter way, but he knew how to adapt to people and to embrace people and to, and to make people feel special and, and not as an outcast. And he knew how to go from culture to culture. He went from, from, from Jerusalem to Antioch to Tarsus to Thessalonica, to the Greeks, and then to Rome. He moved throughout the whole Mediterranean world with all its different multicultural backgrounds and everything. And he, and he just moved amongst the people. Bay Ridge is filled with so many different cultures. This is how you know revival breaks out. As a matter of fact, you know where you see it? You see it in the Salvation Army. Come here on Sunday morning. They have a, an Indian congregation. They have people coming out of Islam. They have people coming out of deep Catholicism and, and, and the Latino community. And they're all represented. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful, multi-ethnic, cultural background all coming together for the sake of Jesus. It's beautiful. But when God moves, he moves on everybody. Not just our family. Cultural differences. How do we deal with the cultural differences? How do we deal with the moral looseness? Those without the law. Do we walk around and say, I'm not hanging out with them. They curse. They, they, they drink. They're always getting drunk. They're always smoking pot. They're always doing this. They're always doing that. They're, and all of a sudden, my world is like, I got like four friends. And a lot of Christians have no friends outside the Christian church. I love when people are saying, I'm going to do this. And, or what you, or they, no, no, they're just friends of mine from work. Praise God. I love that. You're going to the pub to have a beer? Praise God. I'd be right with you if I wasn't a drunk. And I'm dead serious. There's nothing wrong with speaking about people, speaking to people about the Lord and over a glass of wine. Some pastors would throw me out of the church for that. But guess what? Don't really care. Paul knew how to meet people without becoming a drunk. I only use that as an example. We can't walk around like so shy. Oh, I can't hear those words. Like, oh, oh, stop cursing. Well, you're in a gym. You're going to hear some foul language. You're on the football field. You're going to hear things you don't want to hear. You can't be rebuking everybody because they said the S word. You, you know, you have to know how to meet people. That turns people off. You have to know how to go there and become the week to the week without being caught up in any kind of lewdness, any kind of agreement because you have the law of Christ in you. I have a compassionate heart. I have a tender heart, but I have a high view of morality I don't even want to curse. I want no little joking coming out of my mouth. But if I'm in a crowd and someone says something in the locker room, in the gym, I can't be sitting there lecturing them on morality when I haven't told them there's a Savior in the world. And then there's the weak. How do we deal with those who 
How do we deal with lonely people? How do we deal with those who just... It doesn't look like they have a friend in the world. I'll ask you this. Do you live in an apartment building? How many people here live in an apartment building besides myself? There are people in that apartment building that you know no one says hello to. You know. I bet you they're living next to you for 20 years and don't even know their name. I bet you nobody in your building except for a couple people know their name. Can we become the weak to the weak? Can we knock on their door? Can we meet people's needs? Or is that below us? We got to watch the attitudes of the heart here. Me and John were counseling somebody one day. And we had the horror of hearing, I'll never change. That's like the double step. I told him, please, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, do everything you can to change. Christ came to change you. Everything about you, he came to change. He came to redeem. Let there not be one area of your life you don't allow Christ to change. And last thing, the fifth. Where's our motivation? Verse 23 gives us two motivations. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that's one. That I may share with them in its blessing. The first motivation is he does it for the gospel's sake. It's like Paul saying, Paul, there are people dying of a disease only a hundred miles away and you have the antidote he would do anything to get the gospel to them it's like having the it's having the the ability to bring water where there is no water to bring water where there's a famine to bring food where there's a famine to bring healing where there's the disease and you're the only one that has it you, you, you have to cross oceans and mountains to get the what? the answer that's what Paul means for the sake of the gospel for the sake of of the only hope of the world. I have to get them the gospel. Like a starving man before me, I have to get him some food. Like a thirsty man before me, I have to get him a drink. No matter how far and wide I have to travel, I have to get them spiritual nourishment. And the last thing is sharing its blessing, he says. And I've shared that already. Leading people out of darkness. Being an instrument in the hand of God. And then being used by God to nurture Christ in someone's life. There is no greater reward. Between the power of the gospel to save and heal. Between the rewards and blessings of sharing in the gospel. That's where we lose ourselves. It's between those two ends that I can die now because there's something greater than me. Father, we thank you. We love you. And God, we know you. We need you to do a fresh work, God. And I pray for all of us in this church, God. I pray for those who can listen.
on the computer, Father God, that we cry out with sincere hearts to do a fresh and new work in us. You're so kind. Your mercies are new every morning, God. You, you're always calling us to draw closer to you and that you'll draw closer to us, Father God. And let us not do this on our own. Let us not walk out with deaf ears. Let us not turn a blind eye, Father God. Let this word crush us and bring us to a deeper, renewed faith in you, God. I pray, Father God, for all of us here at Sonship. Remember our humanity. Remember our failures, God. But but remember your grace that you love us and you've sealed us with your spirit, Father God. Now, we ask, all of us ask, Father God, do a fresh new work in us, Father God. Let us love the lost in Jesus' name.